0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving you a tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314- 436 or 1-800-925-1120. With questions, concerns, or comments like the gentleman who called and said the good way to get rid of field mice or voles or things like that is... Shoot honey down into the hole where you know they are coming in and out of, and then put cayenne pepper down there, too. I mean, that's a good one. And thanks for having me on your show. You can give a call when you talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds of the annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, your lawn, your perennials, your roses, your trees, your shrubs, your vines. Or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Greg is producing today, and he will be the one that answers the phone. He'll ask for your first name and uh, where you're calling from, and that's about all we need. Then when we go on air, I will ask you uh, to go ahead and what your question is or comment. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting, where I come to your home and do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, www.mikemillardesigns.com. The homepage will be an email address and a phone number, and you can contact me, and we can schedule a walk and talk. And I'll share with 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors with plant material here in the metro area. And uh, also... We can talk about anything you like when I'm there. If you don't want to talk about your plants, we can just you know, talk about anything. I don't, I used to play Pinochle, and I don't know if I can remember how to play Pinochle, but if you'd like to play Pinochle, we can do that. Anyway, now a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344 today's tip of the trial goes out to a couple different plant societies I don't know how many plant societies there are in the metropolitan area but you can go to the Missouri Botanical garden mobot.org and we'll list you know lots of different plant societies here's some of the ones that I just picked out because I think they have really cool names Here's herbs for health and Fun Club so that's a garden club it's in Mount Vernon, Illinois and uh, they got all kinds of things going on with that so herbs for health and fun club. Then there's also the Ho and hope garden club. Those are two that are really kind of unique as far as their names go. The Lewis and Clark garden club. I mean, that doesn't sound that totally wild and crazy, but uh, there is just so many different garden clubs and throughout the entire metro area, the perennial garden club of Clark County, to be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure where Clark County is, but uh, there is a perennial garden club there, and let's see what else we might have here. Oh, sprig and twig garden club. That's they meet uh, uh, in Florissant. So sprig and twig garden Club. So tip of the trial goes out to those garden clubs as well as all the people who you know belong to various garden clubs, membership wise. That is a place where you can get some wonderfully great information. You know, from people that are in the field, they're fooling with this plant material on a regular basis in insight. So you don't necessarily realize that when you're there, yes, the focus is going to be on one particular type of plant, particularly, let's say, if it's a Kirkwood Iris Society or something like that. But there's going to be discussions concerning all kinds of different things because your plant material in your yard is impacted by lots of other things. It's just... Concentrating on one thing is not necessarily going to make it so you're going to have great success with that. Realize that there's a whole big picture that you have to really get into. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages.
1: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Yes, February is still wintertime. There's no getting around it, but start watching out. It's a little bit early because we're only in the, what, what is this, the third, fourth, fifth, I don't know how many days, what, end of February. But this time of year, what you can start possibly seeing, there's a variety of dogwood. It's a cornelian cherry. It's not the classic dogwood with the big white flowers or the pink flowers or the red flowers or whatever. This has small yellow flowers. And it's in the dogwood family, though. And plant material is all arranged family-wise according to the flower structure. How many this, how many that, the, you know, the stamens, the sepals, and all this other stuff. So the cornelian cherry is one of the first things to bloom. Also this time of year in another couple weeks— The hamamelis, all the witch hazels. Witch hazels, there's some from the Orient. There's some that are native to this region. They have yellow flowers. They have orange flowers. And the majority of them are fragrant as well. So they're going to be blooming also this time of year in another couple weeks. Aranthus, the winter aconite, it has yellowish flowers. And the clitonia, the spring beauty, growing up in Ellisville, our front yard, way back when, I guess, you know, when the builder did the house, they didn't tear down a lot of the maple trees and you know all the natural soil. So we always had one side of our driveway was filled with the spring beauties. I didn't have any idea what they were when I was growing up. But then later on, I found out that those were Clutonia's spring beauty. So other things, the Dutch crocus is going to be in flower. The Galanthus of snowdrops. And then the perennial Helleborus, they're going to be flowering too. Now, the Helleborus is an evergreen perennial. Its flowers hang on the underside of the leaf, so it's a little bit tough to see. But I will say there is some hellebores here downtown along Market Street. And when I was coming back up from the arch grounds to come to the station, I looked over and saw them. Ooh, they looked like they got scorched by the cold, but they're tough. They're going to come back. So the evergreen quality of something like that mm, is going to be a little iffy. But uh, anyway... So those are things that you could see blooming in the next week or two, or who knows, depending upon the weather. Let's go now to Arnold, and that's where Jim lives. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi.
1: Hey, uh, I've had a couple of questions. Um, I'm thinking about making me a like a box garden, uh, you know, 4 by 4 by, I don't know, what is it, like 8 or 10 high, um, and putting dirt in it because I have problems with I weeds all the time, trying to keep them out of my garden. So I think that's kind of the idea I'm going with. Uh, what kind of soil should I start that with? I mean, last time I put some soil in my yard when I built my house and I wanted a garden, I just got a guy with a dump truck and it said topsoil. So I put it in there and it kind of worked. But I don't know if it's the best thing to start this project with.
2: Well, when you and, get soil like that, you never know what there actually is in the soil. So I would, to be honest with you, go to St. Louis Composting because they text, you know, they check everything on a routine basis for all kinds of problematic things, and they watch, you know, for weed germination. And if they start to see weeds in a certain, you know, let's say, a pile, then consequently they're not going to sell that anymore. So until they wow. can get the weed circumstance taken care of, but if you just, you know, bring in topsoil, I would get a topsoil blend. They have the SLC raised bed mix. I would contact them and go from that standpoint.
1: Okay. And I also had another question. Sure. Um, When I had my house built, my mom and dad got me a Bradford pear tree that I planted in my front yard, Mm -hmm. which are really nice looking and all that kind of stuff. But from what I understand, they have an issue with the... uh, Splintering branches off, and maybe like at some point it would end up killing the tree, right? Uh, but tearing up. Is there anything that a person can do to try to counteract that before it becomes an issue?
2: Basically, what you can do is you can drill holes in the major trunks because usually about f- four or five feet, three feet, depending upon the you know particular specimen, you start to see major splitting of the trunk and the angle of the trunks you know, where they start, you know, the major trunks start moving away from each other. That angle is very narrow, and that's why they have the problems with the ice storms and things like that. But you, uh, you know, X amount of feet up, depending upon how long the branches are, I don't know how tall it is right now, but several feet up, you can actually start cabling some of the branches together. So, in other words, you drill a hole through the major trunk, and then you know, put a let's say a bolt and a nut with a washer on it, and then run it to another one. So in other words, you're just trying to hold it together. But that's okay, about so
1: you're tying the left and the right together so that it's exactly more and more. right. Okay, yeah, I never heard of that. That's a pretty good idea.
2: So that you could do that, but just realize also, you know, the problem is the angle of the branches the tr- slash trunks. But water runs down the trunks, and then there's going to be that sort of center thing where all off the major trunk, all the everything starts spraying out. That's a uh-huh. you know has a tendency to kind of have a wet spot there. There's not too much you can do about that, but cabling them all together that should hold them together.
0: Okay, thank you.
2: Yep, good luck with that. And uh, yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's kind of how they are. There's no, and I mean for the you know lifespan wise, I've been to houses where some of them. You know, for whatever reason, they've not had the ice or, you know, problematic. And they're really pretty darn old. They're in the 30-plus years old, and they still look pretty darn good. So good luck with that, Jim. And now let's go to Jane in South St. Louis. Hi, Jane.
3: Hey there, Mike. How are you doing? Very good. Okay. Well, first of all, I have two questions. Uh, The first one is I am having old evergreen bushes pulled out of my front. And I'm trying to think what I'd like in their place, but I'm going to pick your brain for that. Secondly, I have a zoysia that's thinning in my backyard. It's getting old. Would you uh, suggest plugs or would you suggest sod? And because I have a dog... He has one particular path he follows, so I was thinking, well, since my patio is flagstone, I would put some flagstone stepping stones in that particular area that he could follow. So those are my two questions, Mike.
2: Basically, where your dog runs back and forth and back and forth, the stones are fine, but his feet may not like that. You know, unless you embed them in, the, so that's not really going to help. My tendency would be to, you could put an edger along there or something like that if you wanted to, but I would just put some bark mulch there as opposed to oh, doing, that's, oh, you know.
3: That's what I've been doing, so I'm I'm doing the right thing exactly,
2: there. Exactly, because, yeah. I mean, the stepping stones and everything else, you don't want a pathway going down there, because the dog's not, he'll probably just move off the stones and just run along the side of the you know stone pathway that you put in. <laughs>
3: So anyway, uh, that's so. Then should I go ahead, Mike, with the zoysia sod, or should I use the plugs to uh, replenish the 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 grass that's kind of thinning out there?
2: I would do a combination of both. You know, get a couple pieces of sod. The areas that's the thinnest. You know, cut out the you know basically the same size as the sod piece turn that soil over, and put this, the new sod in that spot. And I'd mix a little bit of compost in that spot as well. So it may end up being a little bit higher than the surrounding zoysia, but ultimately it's going to end up settling and be about the same height as the zoysia. Then oh. also, and then also I would get plugs, and they just put the plugs you know, randomly in various places. But if you've got some spots that are really the worst, I would do the pieces of sod in those spots.
3: Okay. And the second question about the evergreen replacement, what do you think would be best to put in their place? Uh, this is in my front yard along, you know, by the foundation of my home.
2: Well, first of all, you know, I would get these out and and just kind of take a look. Let your house breathe a little bit, not necessarily put something right back in there. Because if these, you know, whatever, they're fitzers, whether they're used, it doesn't really matter what they were. The root system is going to stay viable for a little while, so just okay. you know, go ahead, get those taken, you know, taken out. Get the soil improved in that spot. Then mm-hmm. you know, find out how much area that you want to dedicate to these shrubs, and just you know, don't put the shrubs up too close to your house. Let the shrubs actually have some space. Then you've got things like globe arborvitae. You've got boxwood if you want a broadleaf type thing. You got you know some of the. I mean there's lots of different evergreens. You got if you want something really exotic looking, there's like gold thread branch cypress which is oh. going to have, you know, some different kind of look to it. It's going to be yellowish. So there's many different things that you can use, but I again would get that, you know, get the shrubs out of there that you have, get the soil improved And then take a, you know, go to your favorite garden center with some pictures and ask them what they would recommend. But, you know, gold thread branch cypress would certainly be something I would consider. And as long as in the boxwood and the globe arborvitae, those are, you know, the globe arborvitae never needs pruning. It grows in a natural round shape. The gold thread branch cypress, some of them get kind of larger, but they're fairly slow growing. So you don't have to worry about pruning them. So that's why I would pick those particular ones.
3: Wow, Mike. That's why I call you. You're the expert. (laughs) Thanks a bunch,
2: Mike. Certainly. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. But, yeah, I mean, there's so many different. Just watch out. Like I said, so many people put shrubs way too close to their house, and then consequently somebody can't get back in there, let's say, to check the tuck pointing. They can't get back there to clean the windows or anything else. With my house, we live in South St. Louis. We moved from Soulard, and I have actually a steel edged area that goes around the, our entire house that I backfilled. It's about four feet wide that I backfilled with rock. That way, I have a pathway to get all the way around the outside of the house. And then any kind of plantings I did was further out from that. So that way there are some things that can, you know, let's say get a little bit more rotund and they're going to fill in the space, but that doesn't become problematic. So if anybody has any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As I continue to say, the annual cool season weeds are out there, and even though they got winter burn and everything else during that cold spell of a couple weeks ago, you're going to have henbit, Chickweed, annual bluegrass, prickly lettuce. You're going to have the Persian uh, speedwell, rabbit's foot clover, shepherd's purse. These are all annual weeds. So in other words, there is a variety of clover that's an annual. There is definitely varieties of clover that is not an annual, but this particular one is an annual. Bruce lives in St. Louis. Bruce, how are you today? Hello, Bruce. Yes, sorry about that. Oh, that's
0: okay. I just got a quick question for you on soil improvement issues. I've got an area with trees on a hillside and the near the river, so it's a sandy loamy mix. And I'm trying to get trees in there, and I've got an opportunity to put um, a lot of chicken manure out there as far as topsoil improvement for the large area surrounding. But I don't want to get too close to the trees, and I wanted your advice about what to do for soil improvement for both surface and subsurface for trees.
2: Basically, I would say, you know, add compost to the ground. Chicken manure, that's okay. It has, you know, it's, you know, let's say, ability to do too much. It's basically a fertilizer and it's going to be gone really soon. It's not going to necessarily help the overall health of your soil. So that's that's the difference between let's putting something like that down be it cow manure, chicken manure, anything else and adding something into the soil like a compost type product
0: okay and what would be the recommended depth if i'm improving around the trees around the new tree ball root area the 18 is just below the tree root base that i'm putting in or would it be a, what would you
2: recommend basically i wouldn't necessarily put something in the hole okay. i would dig the hole and then you know blend in the around where the trees are that's where i put the compost not necessarily down in the hole
0: okay that's that's what I was trying to get a feel for, because I've got a lot of trees I want to try to establish.
2: Yeah, so in other root words, root. three times the diameter of the root ball. If they're bare root, then just, you know, three you know, a, a foot or so. But okay. three times that diameter, but only about 80% as deep. So you want the top crown where the trunk and the root system meet slightly higher than the surrounding ground, because there will be some settling.
0: Uh, that sounds good, because I, my friends have this, a ton of manure they can spread all over the field near me and improve it Another related to that what about infixes to help with the trees like clover or anything else to help with the tree uh,
2: the clover is what it does is capture nitrogen out of the air it stores it up in its root system and until it's turned over or anything else it still stores the root system so if you're just trying to stabilize the soil you just realize that clover as time goes on as this gets shadier and shadier is not going to be able to withstand the shady factor
0: okay okay that's fine then just trying to get a better understanding of how to get some nitrogen back into the soil around these trees.
2: Right. So, you don't, you know, basically, you know, choose your trees carefully, but the nitrogen is not is not necessarily something that the trees really need. I would before you did any planting at all, I'd get a soil test done and find out what's in the ground there right now. Okay. And that way you can sort of, like, orchestrate everything from that. But nitrogen only stays in the ground if you put it down for a few days. Then it becomes a gas and goes up into the air. And until there's lightning strikes, that gas in the air, the nitrogen, doesn't come back down to the ground. So, you know, the whole idea of nitrogen being something that's needed is not necessarily... It's a quick, you know, uptake by the plant material, but it doesn't have a long-term effect whatsoever.
0: Okay, thank you for clarifying that. That was... Getting some misinformation here,
2: <laughs> but all the other nutrients—phosphorus, potassium, magnesium—you know, manganese—all that other stuff. Those are all very important. But what they're doing is they're also helping build your soil and keep your okay. soil stronger. And that's what's most important.
0: All right. Uh, thank you for your time here.
2: Sure. Thank you. And now let's go to Paul, and he lives in Redbud, Redbud, Illinois. Hi, Paul.
1: Hi, Mike. Uh- could you give me the name of that cherry tree again? That's in the dogwood family.
2: Yeah, it's called cornelian. C O R N E L I A N.
1: Okay, and is it a full sun?
2: Yeah, it can take full sun, but it can take a shade too. If you could, you know, I've seen it. They had it at the botanical garden. They have it over in Tower Grove Park, and it's, uh, you know, it's pretty versatile. It's not okay. a huge tree by any means. It's not going to be a big tree. It's not going to be even as big as what classically we think of a dogwood, which is an understory type tree. But it's, you know, it's pretty attractive. And like I said, this time of year to see anything in flower is like, wow, thank goodness. Yeah.
1: I've got a forsythia on the west side, and it's not doing well because it doesn't get enough sun. Right. And I was going to replace, the for- move the forsythia to the other side where it gets the morning sun and everything. Get one of these trees and use that as my barometer i guess you'd call it as for my pre-emergence my fertilizers i know anything that blooms late winter is it is the gauge you know that absolutely you your stuff down
2: right that's so. absolutely so the cornelian cherry should work just don't put it too close to your house don't put it underneath an eave or something like that
1: right right all right sir thank you very much
2: yep good luck with that yeah the cornelian cherry is you know, it, it's a very, let's say it's used very little because a lot of the things that bloom in the early spring, their bloom period is fairly short. So that's where the trouble comes in. Rita lives in Eolia, Missouri. Is that true? Is that how you pronounce it, Rita? That's it. You got it right. And not very many people do, but you <laughs> did
3: well. <laughs> Thank you for taking my call, Mike. Sure. I have been given a weeping pussy willow, and it's beautiful. Um I have never, one like this, I don't have a clue how to take care of it.
2: Can you tell me what to do? Basically, just leave it alone. It's, you know, it's the same as a pussy willow. It's just been sort of like, you know, these branches, it's a grafted tree. Just like anything that's right. weeping. So, in other words, okay. it's a couple things that are attached together. But, you know, full sun is, just, is perfect for it. It doesn't necessarily need totally full sun, but it can handle a part shade circumstance. But it's going to do much better in the full sun. And, you know, the Pussy Willow is just nice because it is another one of those early bloomers. And it's not spectacular, but it's still really kind of unique, and especially with, you know, having one that's a weeping variety. Uh, Don't overwater it. It does, you know, it can handle some water circumstance, but uh, overwatering can cause more problems than it does good.
3: Is it hardy?
2: Oh, yes. Yeah, the only time anything is grafted, the only time that it's not hardy is if the graft is not really done well and there's some kind of gap or something in the graft where, in other words, the weeping part was attached to the trunk. And then consequently that, you know, if there's a gap or something in there, that's where some problems can come in. And then also as it grows, because a trunk is going to be some uh, virtually probably a pussy willow or some kind of, I don't know what kind of tree it's grafted onto, but it could be sending, you know, some... let's say, branches straight up in the air. Just keep those cut off routinely.
3: Okay, that, that was my next question. Um, you know, the branches are cascading out. Right. It's just finished blooming. At least I think that's what the blooming was. <laughs> and now it's getting, it's growing straight up. Right. I, okay, I, sh- I should cut those off.
2: Yeah, anything that's going straight up, that is not part of the weeping part of the, you know, of the pussy willow. So this is growth that's coming off the trunk. And make those cuts, you know, go down and figure out exactly where it's attached to the trunk and cut them as close as you possibly can to the trunk. Okay. There... I thank you very much. Sir. Well, sure. And Good thanks, program. Rita, for calling. And also with anybody that has any kind of weeping tree, you start to see growth. It's vertical going straight up. That is not part of the weeping aspect. It's not going to get like, wow, that is going to go up there and then start weeping down. No, that's not going to be the case. You're going to end up with a weeping part. Yes, a weeping part, the branches can get taller. The trunk will stay pretty much the same size as it is now. But uh, so just watch out for any straight stuff coming off any kind of weeping plant. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX.
2: Yes, folks, we've got about 10 minutes left. So if you do have any questions, 314. Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Uh, basically, if you grow a lot of plants in pots, I have no problem at all, and I've been doing it for a long, long time. I keep using the same potting mix every year. Now, I do dump it out, and you know, depending upon de- what the circumstance is, a lot of my pots right now have spring flowering bulbs in it. So what I do is I wait until they finish flowering and everything. I don't keep the bulbs. I just buy new ones every year from Brightside St. Louis because it's, you know, to store them and everything else, I don't grow them in the ground, except I do have a few in the ground. But with a potting mix, I dump it all out. I blend it all together, and then I add a little bit of new potting mix, not potting soil, with you know just the whole big—I You know I got all kinds of Rubbermaid tubs I dump it into. But— what you need to do is realize that if you've grown things in pots and those that plant material actually had some kind of disease, you know, whatever it was, do not reuse that, you know, that's when I don't use any kind of potting mix because once you don't know exactly what the fungus or bacteria or anything else was. It could be hanging out in your potting mix, and you could re-inoculate the plant the new plant material for the following year. So just you know, as long as it didn't have any problems with it, everything was growing fine. That's great. Also, I do clean my pots every year after the spring flowering bulbs, before I refill them with the potting mix. I clean them out. I you know some years I go you know I use dishwashing soap. But for the most part, I just hose them out, get them as clean as I possibly can. And also, if you've had problems in your lawn or in any kind of plant material in the ground, realize that some of those problematic diseases, fungus, whatever it happens to be, could be on your tools. So if you've had, a, you know, say, a fungus problem in your lawn, clean your mower blades before you go out there for the first cut and everything else. Clean your shovels, clean all that stuff off, because a lot of times we're spreading these problems ourselves. We're blaming this, we're blaming that, and everything else. And one other thing, too, not related to cleaning anything, but I went out and saw my brother Tommy, who lives out in Pacific, and he said his yard now, he's starting to see armadillos in Pacific, So armadillos, just like the rest of those crazy, let's say, animals, can cause some problems in your landscape. They like to rut for all kinds of bugs and things like that. So Anyway, let's go now to Karen's yard, and she lives in St. Louis. Hi, Karen.
4: Hi, Mike. Uh, Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, I have a problem with—I had some knockout roses that just thrived for four or five years and were beautiful, and all of a sudden started dying— And someone told me it was a virus and that I shouldn't plant more of them for a couple years afterwards to let the virus all die out of the soil. Is that true, do you think, or when can I replant more? They started getting all these little spiny thorns all over them, and the leaves turned a funny color. They were kind of red, reddish leaves. Right.
2: That's a disease called rose rosette.
4: Okay.
2: So R-O-S, rose, and then uh-huh. R-O-S-E-T-T-A. Okay. And that is spread by spider mites. Oh, okay. So these spider mites that are coming from a shrub that has, you know, they've been on a shrub that has a rose rosette, they're blown. Okay. So, and then if you've got one plant that gets, you know, inoculated with this disease, it is an internal disease of the plant, uh, then it's very easy for it to be transmitted by these spider mites, which are little tiny spiders, uh-huh. but uh, to the ones that are in close proximity. But if you, you know, if you've dug them out, you've gotten rid of it, them entirely. I would say I wouldn't be overly concerned with you know replanting them even this year.
4: Oh, okay. So I don't have to do anything to the soil first. Or no, anything-
2: I. You know, I mean, you may call back and say, "Remember when you said I could do this?" And but you never know because you don't know what the original source of the spider mites was. Exactly. I would say. Probably, I wouldn't put them in this year. I would wait until next year to do the planting. Yeah,
4: well, it's already been two years. So okay. Oh, it's been two. I just, yeah, yeah, you're I fine. How long it might right. take?
2: Right. So, in other words, these bugs don't live in the ground. They only live on plant material. Okay. So they're. I mean, they're. You know, I mean, there's several different types of spider mites, but just watch out, you know, spider mites, as they're feeding, cause discoloration in the foliage of your roses, too. Uh And whenever you're going after any kind of insect that you cannot see, like spider mites, make sure you spray, you know, the, the miticide. You can't use a regular insecticide on the underside of the foliage as well as on top of the foliage. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much for your help. Yep. Good luck with that. Yeah, I, you know. I've been growing uh, the knockout roses now. I guess this is my th- this will be my third year in pots. And, man, oh, man, I've been very impressed with them. I actually got them up at, uh, uh, where, where was that nursing? Anyway, Harvey lives in Wildwood. Hi, Harvey. Yes, hello. Hi.
1: Um, I have new construction, and bottom line, the soil. I have some plastic soils, and um, I'm trying to, Figure out what's the best way because every time it, get, it rains or it gets wet, you know the soil gets real soft and muddy. So I'm wondering what I should do. Should I put down some new dirt and then saw it or, or what's the
0: best way to to eliminate you know the, the, these plastic soils or real soft clay soil that I have?
2: Right. Yeah, you've probably got subsoil. So in other words, it was dug. If you had a basement dug out and they just sort of spread it around. So it's going to be a long, involved process, to be honest with you. You're not going to get a quick fix to be able to have great success with this. But I would start, again, adding like a topsoil compost mix to your existing soil and just kind of go from there. And, you know, if you need to use erosion netting or something like that, use that. But uh, if you want to put the sod down, that's great. But just putting sod down on what you have without doing any kind of soil improvement at all that sod is going to be dead within two years.
0: Oh, okay.
2: I mean, it's going to be a disaster.
0: Okay.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, but uh, yeah, that's what uh, people don't quite understand. If it's you know, if it gets when it rains, if it gets that really sloppy, muddy look, it has no ability to hold any kind of the moisture. So it's basically just you know making that top few inches or layer of. You know the muddy soil, the subsoil, really wet, and then that's why you got to mix other things in with the soil that you have, so it can retain the moisture and send it into the ground, not just keep it on the surface.
0: Okay, okay. Well, look, thanks a lot. Sure. I've got a lot of work to do. You aren't kidding. Okay.
2: <laughs> All right, <thanks>. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's unfortunately, it's going to be somewhat of a nightmare. But uh, now let's go to Bloomsdale, Missouri, and or Bloomsdale, sorry, and that's where Tom lives. Tom, how are you?
1: Oh, pretty good, Mike. How are you this morning? Very good. Okay, uh, my problem is I got some blackberry plants. They're about ten or twelve years old, and they bloom real good, but they don't bear no black, no blackberries. None at all. Uh, uh, no, I don't know if it's a Japanese meal getting to them. But I'm spraying, spraying real good. But they will not bear no blackberries.
2: Yeah, the Japanese beetle know. does not eat flowers. So if no. you got the flowers, why they're not poll- you know, why they're not you know cross pollinating and setting the fruit? That's a little tough. How big are the canes coming up out of the ground?
1: Oh, they're about ten or twelve years old. They're pretty. They're probably at least about about an inch.
2: Yeah, in I would say you know those may be the older, bigger ones are probably too old to set any fruit. So, okay. in other words, on a routine basis, when those canes coming up out of the ground get bigger than a half inch, cut those out, cut them all the way down to ground level, and just let the newer ones, you know, infill, and they should be able to pollinate. Okay. And, that's, okay. You know, and, our, and spraying them is not going to make any difference whatsoever unless you see the insects actually on them. And for the most part, the berries, you know, the blackberries, raspberries, and all that other stuff, they don't really have a whole lot of insects that's going to impact them.
1: Okay.
2: So yeah. just, you know, f- routinely fertilize them, add some compost to the ground, that kind of stuff. Just keep them nice and healthy. And as if the foliage, the leaf look good on them?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, real good.
2: So then what it is is just you've got some older canes that past the time when they can produce any fruit. And then they, right. the, re- the rest of us just, you know, adding something to the soil. To you know, to help it out a little bit, and uh, you know, just with the overall health of the soil, and uh, that's probably what I would do.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about digging them up and replacing with some new plants. So
2: you could do that if you want to, but uh, just get rid of the older big canes. And there's got to be some young canes because they they're colonizers. They send new canes out. Right. Yes. So yep. you could just you could add some new ones if you wanted to, but by just using or keeping the old, you know, getting rid of the old ones and keeping the young, smaller ones, you should be fine. Okay, Mike. Thank you very much. Yep, good luck with that. Yeah, and you could buy some certainly new ones, and it may not hurt to buy some new ones because there may be something, you know, whatever, wherever they're growing or anything else, why they're not cross-pollinating and setting fruit, that's, you know, that's really kind of a mystery. So good luck with that, Tom. And see you, Tom. And uh, thanks to everybody for calling in. Some of the things that you need to be start worrying about in the outdoors, you know, as the weather starts warming up. I say warming up. Uh, today it's going to be 40, but then it's going to be 13. But start keeping an eye out for things that, uh, you know, like leaf spot on plant materials, mildew, cedar apple rust, anthracnose, all those kind of things. Just keep looking. Watch your plant material very, very carefully. If you've had a plant that has been problematic from a disease standpoint or whatever it happens to be, consider getting rid of it because it's much easier than trying to get it under control using whatever, even if it's a correct, you know, spray, fungicide, you know, herbicide. You're not going to use an herbicide because it's going to kill your plant. So, you know, just do that. Watch stuff. Start watching really soon because a lot of these things start happening very early and then f- from a fungus standpoint once they're well you know once they're established the fungicide effectiveness is very limited so get out there and start you know applying fungicides historically if you've had problems on a particular plant before you even notice it also this is a time of year when from an insect standpoint and a disease standpoint there's something called dormant oils it's a horticultural oil You spray it onto your plant material. It suffocates any kind of egg casings from insects. It also can suppress diseases. So a dormant oil spray is a good thing to do. You do that in February. You probably don't have the ability necessarily to get the dormant oil or spray it yourself, but contact a landscape service and have them come out and spray a dormant oil, particularly if you've had a tree, let's say like a a crab apple that always gets a cedar apple rust. And you're just tired of it. You really like the crab apple. It has great flowers. But the foliage starts going downhill basically as soon as it starts you know, showing up because it's going to be you know, inoculated onto the leaf buds that are right there. So stay ahead of the game. It's going to make a big difference on the performance of your plant material. That's why when we wait till we see something, that's when it's, you know, problematic or trouble. The same thing applies to, you know, weeds, annual weeds or perennial weeds that are coming up from seed. Get those pre-emergence down early. And that way, you're not going to necessarily get rid of everything because of our, you know, our crazy you know, weather and everything else. But at least it's going to give you a heads you know, a head start on getting things under control. And it's just, it's going to be much easier. Thanks to everybody for calling in and thanks to everybody for doing a great job in their outdoors. I loved going to people's homes. I love seeing just driving by houses and seeing and thinking, wow, they've really done some great work. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week.
1: The voice of the Cardinals.
2: News Radio 1120
1: KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK.
2: HD 3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.